Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Survivor Girl podcast. I am your hostess, Alice, aka the Survivor Girl. And today I'd like to welcome one of my favorite people in the world and one of the true people I appreciate more than anyone is Dina. Dina, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Alice, aka Survivor Girl. Um, <laughs> happy to be here and thank you for creating this space and having the voice, giving us the chance to have a voice, fellow survivors. So just good morning. <laughs> <laughs> and good morning to you. You guys, Dina's one of my favorite people and she's one of the most amazing survivors. And I'm gonna ask her some great questions to get her to tell you everything about her. And you will be just as amazed as I have been in the times that I've gotten to know her. So Dina, my first yes. question, what initially led you to the doctor? What was happening that had you concerned? Well, first of all, as you know, I'm a physician by education and training and or however, and but I didn't take the route of being a practicing one. Instead, I focused on a career as a clinical research professional where I was actually the one who conducted the clinical trials and tested a variety of drugs that everybody is using now for infection, for mental health, for, and yes, for oncologic products as well. So 35 plus years of doing this, little did I know that one day I would be part of the whole statistics of being a breast cancer, identified as having breast cancer. So some, and at, when I first noticed I had a lump and, 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 let me just start off by saying that because I'm a big advocate of early screening and early detection, ever since, you know, I read all the articles and stuff about how it's important that as females, we need to be aware of our bodies and uh, focus on even, you know, making sure that we know what's going on with our bodies. So from having regular pap smears to yes, even in the shower, you know, doing self exams. And that's how I found my little lump on my left breast. And I said, Said, huh, this doesn't look right. I never felt this before. And at that time, when I did that, I was uh, in Singapore. I was working for a couple of pharmaceutical companies. I was an expat based in Singapore. And at that time, my life partner was out of town. And I, and I said, you know, I think I feel something on my left breast. And she says, well, what are you waiting for? You better have a check. So when I said, I'll wait for you to come. So when she came back, I did, we did. And as soon as I got both the mammogram and the ultrasound, I had to research who was the best breast person in, in Singapore. And, and, and Dr. Wee Sui Bok, he's known as, you know, the best in Singapore, the whole of Singapore. So I went to him and it was amazing because because as soon as he, he saw my results, he looked up at me and he said, I'm 85% sure that you have cancer without batting an eyelash. So you can imagine, I, I wish I had a camera so that I, someone could have taken a snapshot of how, what was on my face. But of course, my physician mentality kicked in and I said, okay, what's next? Are we going to do a biopsy? He says, no, no, no. We're going to do a lumpectomy and then you're going to have radiation. And then we're going to do a one other test to make sure to find out if you need chemo or not, depending on what we find. I said, right away, a lumpectomy? Of course. Why waste your time with a biopsy? So the very next day I was scheduled for lumpectomy and as to what, you know, true to form, he was right. It was early stage 
stage one. However, the the uh, type of cells were aggressive, grade three, and it was uh, ERPR positive and HER2 negative. What that means is that it was based on on my hormones, on the estrogen progesterone cycle. That so she said, well, let's do breast sparing and we should do radiation. I said, no, I don't want radiation. I don't like the side effects of radiation. I don't want the long term side effects of radiation. I just want it off. And he says, why? You don't need to take it off. Look at all the studies. It says you don't. No, I want it off because I want to have the peace of mind that someday it's never going to come back. There's just nothing to come back to. So I said, I'm going, I'm on my way back to the U.S. I'm going to get a second opinion, which is what I did. And I decided to have the Oncotype DX test done here in the U.S. And luckily, because my insurance in Singapore was not going to cover it, because, you know, one of the things about, you know, when you when people realize they have cancer, the first thing, apart from figuring out how to manage your life flashing in front of you and you realizing that now you really have an expiration date to your life, can you afford it? So it was hard to figure out because at that time <laughs> I lost my contract, my contract ended and I was at the cusp of figuring out what to do. Luckily, my appointment to being an educator, being in academia at Rutgers came through at the, the time that I needed it. So, but my insurance didn't kick in yet. So I was dependent on my insurance in Singapore, which they won't cover stuff in the US. So thank God for the network of physicians that I know and being in the industry of clinical research, I was able to get to the company who was doing the Oncotype DX test that could determine whether I needed chemo or not. And I told them, I said, look, I have no insurance in the US and I know I need this test. Is there a way that I can participate in a clinical trial so I can avail of this test? Or, or can I do a payment plan? Or what can I do? So luckily, you know, they were able to grant me some extensions and I was able to get the test done. To which I found out, thank God, that I didn't need chemo. So all the more when I I went and looked to the oncologist I used to work with when we were doing clinical trials here, and he told me, okay, I'm going to start you off on the oral pills and then go get yourself scheduled for the mastectomy if that's what you want. And that was the first phase of my journey. So what was the full process of treatment? It sounds like that money being an issue. Explain to people also like how expensive treatment can be for some and why that can be prohibitive for some people being able to get treatment. Yes. Yeah, so that Oncotype DXS would have cost me about 5000 to $6,000. And I didn't have that cash at that time. And so nowadays, if you go through, there's a lot of help that you can get with various programs. So the first thing that you really need to do when you meet with your doctor, and it just so happened that I was fortunate enough to be connected with the right folks. And that's why I like what the American Cancer Society is doing and the Susan B common uh, organization is doing where they have all these different programs where people, as long as they just actively look for it and they are knowledgeable of the different programs, you'll be able to manage it. Like, for example, City of Hope is where I have my oncologist and City of Hope itself, their foundation is very well stacked and they have programs there, even if you don't have insurance and, and you can go. But what's important though, is that you have that open mind and that willingness to live 
live. So this is what I always say to my friends or family who I know have been stricken by cancer. First and foremost is you need to work on how you look at this. Yes, you are now part of the cancer statistic. So what are you going to do about it? You can't dwell on what may happen because your life flashes in front of you and all of a sudden you you don't know what to do. You don't know whether you have the support system to do it. You need to take the bull by the reins, by the horns and take the reins and have the attitude that every day that you wake up, it's your birthday and be grateful that you have another day to live. Regardless of what stage, what whether it was early, late or whatever, you have options that are available to you and to have to make sure that you communicate this to your doctor and you have to force your doctor to work with you on your options and that's what I did is I came I was honest and transparent and upfront and I said I can't afford this what do I do and so she says well you've been in the industry you can figure out so uh, scour call your network and see what you can do so and, and so to me I was lucky and blessed that I had that opportunity but for those that don't when you talk to your doctor and you ask them so what is your plan how are we going to do this remember it's a partnership between you and your doctor and it's not just you you need to have a team to work with you to make sure that you have access to everything so one is your your family is your number one support if you have a partner in life or or not it's your partner your friends but more importantly you need to work on one accepting that okay this is happening to me now what do i do and go out there and fight for what you have because if you do you'll be surprised at what avenues will open for you like for example at the city of hope i've had you know people that i know who are tourists who had an issue and they found out that they have cancer. City of Hope was able to facilitate them, one, at least getting the right diagnosis in place and giving them options. And at least before they went back home, they had the right records that they needed so that they can take care of it at whatever country they came from. And if you're local and you don't have insurance, they have a way by which they can work the system and their foundations, and they're very well stacked in at least helping you get a treatment plan in place. See, addressing that you and accepting that you have cancer is the first step. And then wrapping your head and your heart around what are you going to do next and proactively seeking to create a treatment plan that works for you based on economics, based on your support system, and more importantly, based on you and your, and your life. What are you doing if you're working full-time? or not working, if you're a mother or a grandmother or whatever, how are you going to manage through your treatment plan? And to keep yourself informed by listening to podcasts like this and being inspired by people like you, Alice. Just the fact that you call yourself the survivor girl is inspiring enough. I, so appreciate, I appreciate you for that. But tell me, during your treatment, what was one of the most normal things that you wanted back for yourself? I know with me, it was just contact with, with people because I ran into a lot of people who have uh, issues with touching people or hugging people that are going through active treatment, especially. 
I think that I think the most the one that I missed the most was when people just took me for who I am and not took me for being a cancer patient. I don't it's not it's I don't like the pity. You know, I'm not here to ask for I don't want a pity party. I want you to recognize that I haven't changed. It's still me. I've just been diagnosed with cancer. So what? And that's what seemed to be the normal tendency of people around you once. And they don't know how, actually, they don't know how to deal with you. And they can't seem to find the right words. And they seem to think that now you've changed because you now have cancer. And that's, I feel, is the wrong notion to have. So when you... When you know people who have, who are recently diagnosed or newly diagnosed or who may think they have cancer, the best thing is to cheer them on and say, go take care of it. And, you know, we know you got this and we know that you'll know what to do and just being there for them. And, you know, sometimes along the way you lose people because... They just don't know what to do. So sometimes it has to come from you and letting them know. But the one thing that I know that I had a hard time grappling with begin with was I, because when I made a decision to have a double mastectomy and opted not to have reconstruction, that body image uh, was something that I had to work with in my head. And uh, But I quickly snapped out of it because a friend of mine said, you know what? You can always buy those silicone boobs that you want to put in a bra and those bra that you can, and you can just wear it anytime you want to. Just think about this. You don't have to wear a bra. And you know what? She was right. There are she upsides. Was right. <laughs> there are upsides. So that's one cost less. <laughs> so now every time I, I go to a conference and I have to speak, I just put on my fake boobs and bra and, you know, just pretend. Although I tell you, those are those things are hard to carry in a suitcase because they, they, they weigh quite a bit tell you you just have to get creative you know and and sometimes I just laugh at it as a you know it's funny but sometimes with my closest friends I just you know I would take it out and say so here you know you think I look perfect no here here's the fake here are the big fake boobs listen when you got it flaunt it when you don't fake it you know my <laughs> that's my favorite saying in the yeah, whole wide yeah. world minor I have two different size ones. I still prop them up and make them look pretty. But hey, when you got it, flaunt it. When you don't, fake it. Exactly. My point. You know, so because to me, why do I want to go through that extra surgery? You know, I... Why do I want to submit myself to more anesthesia? Why do I want to go through that pain of, of having expanders on and then having another surgery to put the right? No, no. I have better use of my time than do it going through that. I'm in my 60s. What do I need it for, right? So when did you go into remission and what would you say has changed the most for you following treatment all these years later? So I say that, so this was 2000, you know, oh, let me just tell you one story. So back up a little bit. 2016, January, on my birthday, I decided to spend my birthday, uh, this place in the Philippines called the House of Hope. And it is a place where in the Southern Philippines, where my good friend who was a pediatric oncologist set up this halfway house for kids who were undergoing chemotherapy from various provinces and from various indigenous groups who didn't have resources. Now they're funded by St. Jude's and by a group in the UK and they focus in the Southern Philippines and this incredible place called House of Hope. You have at any given time, anywhere from about 50 to 70 kids that are out there. So I decided 2016 January to spend my birthday there. So what I did was I brought food. I brought, uh, I got, I, I got from my friends, kids, uh, old toys that they didn't use, books and stuff. And, and I brought my sisters and my friends 
and we we celebrated my birthday with them and I and I had this big tarpaulin done and I said every day is your birthday because every time that to me it's a gift whether you're doing chemo radiation or whatever treatment that you're getting for whatever type of cancer you have every day is really your birthday so ironically that same year November 2016 was when I was diagnosed with breast cancer so I said that kind of triggered you know it just kind of just propelled me to saying, okay, this is this is now then another chapter in my life that I have to take on because I see what I saw what those kids were going through in their families and now it's hitting me and what my family's going to go through it with me. And, and I'm in the index case in my family. I'm the first one. And I have two other sisters and nieces and and so, you know, again the rallying cry is you better go get your screening and stuff like that. So fast forward to now, that's why because I opted to have the bilateral mastectomy in lieu of radiation, they put me on the oral pills, which is the aromatase inhibitors, which is uh, Femara or Letrozole. I've been on it now for seven years, but my oncologist said, I want to, because of the type of cells you had, I want to kind of cover the basis, cover your basis. I'm going to extend you to 10 years of oral pills. So I said, okay, she says, but I need to put you in every six months of infusions with Zomeda, one, to prevent any metastasis or recurrence and more importantly, osteoporosis, because that's the side effect of being on very long-term with aromatase inhibitors. So, and I kid you not, those infusions are no joke because the side effect of that drug for at least 36 to 48 hours, I'm down with very severe bone pain and and fever and stuff like that. So I have to work around that by pre-medicating myself with Tylenol and so just so that I could manage the side effects, but that's okay. It's only every six months, but what um, has changed? What along the way, you know, see, see, if you have chemo and you lose your hair, you have the nausea and all the sort of stuff. With the long-term use of this oral, I call it oral chemo, the aromatase inhibitors, is that I noticed that I didn't lose my hair, but I'm slowly balding. I have bald spots and my eyebrows were thinning. And of course, because of the nature of the cells that I had, which was ERPR positive, you know, that estrogen progesterone hormonal circuit, it's enough that it happened when I was menopausing, but to add to that, you know, it, it all the, the symptoms that you get from being deprived of those hormones add to it. So you have to figure out a way. So what I'm doing, and I think a lot of oncologists now are doing the same, is you have a more holistic approach. So you try to couple what you're lacking and what you're missing and this kind of slow different types of, of side effects that happen with the oral pills is taking supplements. So look Looking at your nutrition, having a more holistic approach with adding supplements like collagen, high doses of vitamin C, B, and zinc, also to make sure your immune system is, is up. And at the same time, meditation and exercise and just having the right diet, because there's only so much you can do when you are on this prolonged regimen of an oral pill that in the long run, you know, can, it alters your, your whole, you know, your whole, your body systems and makes you prone to other stuff. So proactively, you, you want to educate yourself 
yourself about the type of foods that you eat, the kind of exercise that you need to do. But more importantly is really your psyche and your emotional coping mechanisms, because there will be days when you just feel tired with what and how you try to preserve yourself and how you try to battle and make sure in your head there's still that constant reminder that, you know, you should manage your stress because stress has been known to awaken cancer cells. And so when I get stressed at work or anything, I just learned how to chill and find other ways to do calm myself down. I tell you, if you met me when I was 40 and I was running my own company at that time, I was so driven. I was a completely different person. I never stopped. I was always traveling. I didn't sleep. And, and my parents, at the time when I was diagnosed, my dad was still alive then. And both of my dad and my mom felt that the reason why I got the cancer was because I was too stressed because of work. And that was a major change that I had to do was to manage how I manage things and how I managed my career. And that's why I ended up in academia. And it's a totally different ball game, but it's more manageable stress-wise. And I love to teach. I, I love my students. I love what I do. And I think that's the other component to a cancer patient and someone who's already on the journey to try to fight the cancer and keep those cancer cells dormant so it doesn't come up in some other way or form. But at the same time, keeping yourself healthy is really to, you know, manage your attitude about what you have and what you now lost. So there, I think that's where I am right now. So what advice, what would you tell someone who is dealing with cancer currently or to their families that'll help them get through this now dark period in their life? Acceptance that you have it and proactively, you know, seek the right partner in, as, in terms of your primary care doctor, your oncologist, and really educate yourself on what you have and not be turned off by side effects from treatment, not be turned off or give up because there's a 50-50 chance or maybe even just a 30% chance that you'll live longer. At the end of the day, you need to want to live and you need to want to be around for you, for your family, for your friends, and to be able to say that, you know what, I gave it my all. I did my best. So if, if and when the day should come that it comes back, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to deal with it. If it doesn't come back and I die something else, great. Thank you. And so when I face God, I tell him, look, your will be done. And guess what? I did more than that. I tried to help other people with it so that I could help Easter burden. Does that qualify me to get into heaven? I hope so. <laughs> you know, at this point, what do you do? You, the worst that you can do is to wallow and allow the depression to kick in because then you're doing yourself a disservice. Life is beautiful, despite whatever. It's how we roll with it that counts. You know, that's why you're a survivor girl. That's why we're having this conversation. And hopefully we can make a difference to all those people that are listening. And their will to survive is what's going to, you know, to, to surface the most versus, you know, that there is still that dark place where we can go, go to and you don't want to go there. I totally agree. Well, you guys, now you understand why I love Dina so much and how tremendous she is and how great she is. And you guys, thank you all again for listening. I appreciate you all. We will definitely be back. Thank you, Dina, for coming on the podcast. I truly appreciate you more than I can ever express to you. You are my survivor, girl. And anytime, anytime, I'm here for you. And, and to the audience, thank you for listening in. And remember, for all of those of you out there who have been diagnosed with cancer or are, are survivors, are thrivers, be grateful. Every day is your birthday. Absolutely. Thank you guys again for listening. We'll see you back here next time. Mm -hmm.